Well, church family, I invite you to open up your Bibles with me to the prophecy of Jeremiah, chapter 8. The words of Jeremiah, chapter 8, which you can find if you are inside on Pew Bible, page number 756. Pew Bible, page number 756, Jeremiah, chapter 8. Let me tell you what we're going to find as we turn to Jeremiah 8. Do you have it in front of you? We're going to find more tears. Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet. We saw that especially a few weeks ago as he described his belly-busting and heart-pounding anguish over his people's sins and sufferings. Well, there are more tears here, lots more tears, and there's more truth. Because Jeremiah doesn't just mourn, He prophetically speaks the convicting truth about Jerusalem and Judah's covenant-breaking sins. He stands up and speaks, just like Jenny said in her email. Last week we read about just how far down Judah had slidden. They had broken all the Ten Commandments, worshipped foreign gods and astral deities, getting their kids into the act with baking cakes to the Queen of Heaven, and even sacrificing their kids in the fire to appease these false gods. And at the same time, they had fooled themselves into thinking that they had an ace in the hole, a get-out-of-exile card uh, to keep them from experiencing the Lord's judgment for their sins. Do you remember what it was? The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. But Jeremiah said that the temple would not save them. In fact, the Lord would not save the temple. Judgment is coming if they will not repent. And they would not repent. So Jeremiah laments. Jeremiah mourns. Even more truth. Even more tears. Let me read to you just a few verses from the end of chapter 8 to give you a flavor of the passage before we pray. I'll read to you verses 18 through 22. Verse 22 will have the famous question in it, which I've pulled out to be the title of this message. As I read this short passage to you, listen especially for the anguished heart of Jeremiah, which reveals the loving heart of God. Listen for how he mingles both indignation at their effrontery in their sin, and at the same time as that anguish, mourning, Lament, anger, and pain mingled perfectly together. And then those searching questions that go right to the heart. Jeremiah chapter 8, verses, verse 18 through 22. Oh, my comforter in sorrow, my heart is faint within me. Listen to the cry of my people from a land far away. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is their king no longer there? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their worthless foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we are not saved. Since my people are crushed, I am crushed. I mourn and horror grips me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then 
Is there no healing for the wound of my people? Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no balm in Gilead? What is the answer to that plaintive question? Well, of course, to, you know, to understand that, to answer that question, you have to understand it first. What, what does he mean? The word there is balm, B-A-L-M, in case you're just listening and not reading. It's not balm, not but balm, meaning a soothing medicinal ointment. I think it's short for balsam. It means a salve, a soothing medicinal ointment, an effective treatment for a bad wound. Lita, do you use balms in your work? I'll bet you do, especially after that surgery. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the land of Gilead was famous for their healing balms. It had been famous for them for a long time. Remember a thousand years before Jeremiah was born? When young Joseph was sold into slavery to that traveling caravan of Ishmaelites. Remember that story? Jeremiah, I mean uh, Genesis chapter 37. Remember that? Do you know where that caravan had just come from? Gilead, right? Yeah, you're guessing, right? Yeah. And do you remember that they had donkeys that were laden up with things? Do you remember what were on the donkeys? You got it. Yep. Spices, balm, and myrrh. Gilead was famous for its healing balms. That's where you went when you needed medicine. So this is actually a rhetorical question that anticipates a positive answer. What is the answer? Is there no balm in Gilead? Yes, there's a balm in Gilead. Of course there is. There always is. There always has been. We would say, is the Pope Catholic? (laughs) Is water wet? Do birds fly? Is the sky blue? Is there no balm in Gilead? Of course there is. That's where balm comes from. The best ones. So that leads to the next rhetorical question in verse 22. Is there no physician there? Now the way he asks it, he's in pain. You heard his voice when he read it. Is there no physician there? You see, that also expects a positive answer. Yes, there's a physician there. Is there a physician where Lita works on where she goes tomorrow? Yep. It's the doctor's office. Of course there's a physician there. Yes, there's a doctor in the house. So last searching question in verse 22. Why then? Why then is there no healing for the wound of my people? You see where Jeremiah's going? You see where he's getting at? There's a metaphor here. Jeremiah is saying that the people of Judah are in a world of pain. Their national sin and their national suffering are likened to a painful wound. And Jeremiah feels it deeply himself. He feels the wound too. Verse 21, the the, the one right above this one said, Since my people are crushed, I am crushed. I mourn and horror grips me. Jeremiah was not dispassionate about it. Lita said that, she, her heart goes out to every patient that comes, right? She feels it. Jeremiah feels it too. He feels complete solidarity with his beloved Judah. Their pain is his pain. Their wound is his wound. He says, I am broken by the brokenness of my dear people. And we're in trouble. 
We're wounded. Is there no remedy? Is there no effective treatment? Is there nothing that can be done? You hate it when the doctors say, there's nothing we can do here. Is there no doctor that knows what he's doing? Has God not provided a way out of this pain? I think that's what Jeremiah means when he says, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? I think there is. Why then is there no healing for the wound of my people? That's the bigger question. And Jeremiah has been answering that question all along in this book. I thought it might be good to envision this message as kind of like a patient's chart at the hospital. Do you guys still have charts? Do you have charts? Do they look like this? They're all on computers now, right? Yeah, all right. Well, just pretend, all right? These are the ones I saw on television when I was a kid, okay? And think about what the chart might say in answer to that last question. Why is there no healing for this wound? What's gone wrong? Why is the patient not getting better? We're at the Lord's wound clinic. And Judah is the patient in the bed. What does the patient's chart say about why they're not healing? What's the truth in that? And why do there have to be so many tears? I've got three basic answers to that, for that chart. Here's the first one. The patient refuses the right treatment. If you're taking notes, that's point number one this morning. The patient refuses to take the right treatment. It's not that there isn't the right medicine. It's not that there isn't the right doctor. There is a balm in Gilead. There is a physician there. The patient is refusing to take the right treatment. Let's back up and see how we got to this point. Look at verse 4. That's where we left off last week. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 4. The Lord is putting more words in Jeremiah's mouth about why judgment is coming on the nation of Judah. Look at verse 4. Say to them, this is what the Lord says. When men fall down, do they not get up? When a man turns away, does he not return? What's the answer to that question, those questions? Most of the time, yeah, right? That's a normal thing to happen. You fall down, you pick yourself up. When you go away on a trip, you turn around and you come back from the trip. That's normal. Verse 5, why then have these people turned away? Why does Jerusalem always turn away? They cling to deceit. They refuse to listen. No, 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 no. I'm not listening. Okay, we're not just talking about falling down here, are we? We're talking about falling down. And saying, that's fine, I'm just going to stay down. Can anybody guess what the Hebrew word is being used here again and again? We learned it a couple weeks ago. Anybody think of what it is? Shuv. Shuv, right? Shuv, you remember that? To return or to turn. He says he uses that word like six times in these three verses. 
Jerusalem, he says, always turns away and never turns back. The Lord wants them to return to him. He's been listening to see if they would. Verse 6, I have listened attentively, but they do not say what is right. No one repents of his wickedness. Saying, what have I done? Each pursues his own course like a horse charging into battle. Do you get a sense of what the treatment is for what ails them? It's repentance, right? It's turning from their sin, from their idols, to the Lord. But these patients are not interested in that treatment. Not in the slightest. They think the treatment's worse than the disease, right? No, no thanks. No one repents of his wickedness. Nobody stops and says, what have I done? It's like that crossroads message a couple of weeks ago. Nobody stops at the crossroads and looks. Nobody wonders if maybe they're off track. They just barrel along. Charge! Now, is that dumb? Or is that dumb? Jeremiah says, even the birds know better. Verse 7, even the stork in the sky knows her appointed seasons. And the dove, the swift, and the thrush observe the time of their migration. But my people, bird brains, they do not know the requirements of the Lord. It's unnatural. It's illogical. It's irrational. It's unsensible. And it's not at all unusual. The patient refuses the right treatment. Judah stubbornly refused to repent. How about you and me? We talked about this last week. Are we really willing to really change? It's easy to see it when Judah does it. We're shaking our heads. They're so dumb. They're so dumb. And it's fairly easy to see it in other people. They're so dumb. They're so dumb. But it's harder to recognize it sometimes in ourselves. What have I done? What is the Lord speaking to you about these days? What changes does He desire for your heart and life? Last week I suggested that we all pray and ask the Holy Spirit to put His finger on something in our heart and life that needs to change and then offer it up to Him. Did you do that? What did you discover? Or did you refuse treatment? If you can't think of anything in your heart and life that needs to change, I suggest you start there. I seriously doubt that you have arrived and that your heart perfectly maps onto Jesus' heart. What needs to change? And are you really willing to do it? The good news is that there is good medicine for what ails us. The question is, will we take it? There is an effective balm in Gilead, but you have to apply it to the wound. It's called repentance. Now, of course, it doesn't help in the slightest if you're surrounded by bad doctors who are giving you bad advice. That's point number two on this patient's chart. 
Bad doctors have lied about the diagnosis. Write that down as point number two. Bad doctors have lied about the diagnosis. Judah has quack doctors that have lied to this patient about their condition. Look at verse 8. How can you say we are wise? For we have the law of the Lord. When actually the lying pen of the scribes has handled it falsely. We've seen this a time or two already. Judah's spiritual leaders had been leading them astray. They had been telling the people that they were actually wise when they were actually being foolish. They were bad theologians. They were bad pastors. They were bad doctors of the soul. They were twisting the scriptures to make them say what they certainly did not mean and did not say, but what they wanted them to say. We are wise, for we have the law of the Lord. The Bible, the Bible, the Bible. We have the Torah, just like we have the temple. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, and the sacrifices in it. We've got the Torah of the Lord. Never mind that we ignore it. Never mind that we disobey it. Never mind that we twist it to say what it does not say. Do you see how these are bad doctors for your soul? This is a major problem in our day as well. People who claim to believe the Bible but actually twist its message to say what our itching ears want to hear. And it comes from all directions. Don't just think today about how those people over there twist the Bible to say what they want it to say. Think today about how you are tempted to twist it to say what you want it to say. Their sin might seem like bright shining lights to you in the text and stand out in 50-point font, but your temptations might just be shades of gray and in 10-point font. We're all tempted, tempted to circle around us voices that tell us we're okay. That's one of the biggest problems with social media, I think. They call it the echo chamber. If you like a certain kind of thing over and over again on social media, the algorithms out there will feed you more of the same. They'll feed you more examples of those people doing it wrong and more examples of other people telling you, you're doing it right. You're doing it right. Even if the Bible says you're not. See, there's always a smiling preacher out there to tell you that it's not so bad. Go ahead and give in to your sinful desire. Or go ahead and give in to your hate. It's okay for... We have the law of the Lord. Well, the Lord of the law will not let this go on forever. Verse 9. The wise, quote-unquote, will be put to shame. They will be dismayed and trapped since they have rejected the word of the Lord for real. What kind of wisdom do they have? So judgment is coming. Therefore, I will give their wives to other men and their fields to new owners. They'll be uprooted. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say when there is no peace. Those are some bad doctors, aren't they? 
Jeremiah sees it every single day. The patient has come into the wound clinic and there are signs of gangrene. But the patient doesn't want to hear that. I mean, that would mean some real digging. Maybe even cutting something off. The patient doesn't want to hear that. So the doctors, well, they want to get paid. They are prophets for prophets, right? Oh, so they say, eh, that, that doesn't look too bad. Yeah, you, you'll be fine. Everything will be okay. Everything will be okay. Everything will be okay. But everything will not be okay. Maybe the best application of this whole passage today is to just say to the Lord, give it to me straight, doctor, I can take it. Tell me the truth about my condition because I know there's a balm in Gilead. I know that there's a physician there. But don't just treat it lightly if it's serious. But these quack doctors, they are shameless. That's how they make their money. Verse 12, are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No. They have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. They're on television hawking their false diagnosis and false prognosis. Peace, peace, it'll be fine. So they, the leaders, will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when they are punished, says the Lord. I'll take away their harvest, declares the Lord. There'll be no grapes on the vine. There'll be no figs on the tree, and their leaves will wither. What I have given them will be taken from them. The revocation of God's good gifts. Verse 14. Why are we sitting here? Gather together. Let us flee to the fortified cities and perish there. For the Lord our God has doomed us to perish and given us poisoned water to drink because we've sinned against him. Now, now, now what's going on there? I, I think that this is Jerusalem speaking here. This is Judah speaking. And I detect what might be another twist in the plot. Another note for this patient's chart. I think the patient has begun to blame the good doctor. You see that? You hear it there? Look at verse 15. We hoped for peace, but no good has come. For a time of healing, but there was only terror. The snorting of the enemy's horses is heard from Dan. At the neighing of their stallions, the whole land trembles. They've come to devour the land and everything in it, the city and all who live there. Judgment's coming from the north. It kind of seems to me that they're blaming God for their predicament. We had hoped for peace. Some of the doctors had told us it'd be fine. And this doctor who's in charge, well, he got angry at us, took away our harvest, set our enemies at us. How are we supposed to heal when all that's going on? We're not healed. 
And whose fault is that? I mean, really? Well, the Lord knows whose fault it is. And he's doing something about it. Verse 17, see, I will send venomous snakes among you. Vipers that cannot be charmed, and they will bite you, declares the Lord. Judgment is on the way, and it will not be the Lord's fault. He never stops confronting them with their sin. He never gives up the truth. And at the same time, he never stops caring for them either. Look again at verse 18. Oh, my comforter in sorrow, my heart is faint within me. I think now that's Jeremiah speaking, revealing the heart of God. He's really feeling all the heaviness of this situation. Verse 19, listen to the cry of my people from a land far away. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is your king no longer there? Now, that could very well be Jeremiah prophetically hearing the cries of the exiled people of Judah down the line after it's all gone down. They're in a land far away. They're in pain. Maybe even they're repentant by then. But I tend to hear them almost blaming God for their predicament now. Is the Lord not in Zion? Where's the doctor? Is her king no longer there? How come this is happening to us? Has the Lord abdicated his throne? He said he would save us. Why isn't he showing up? Here's how I put number three on the patient's chart. The patient blames the great physician. The patient blames not himself, not even those false doctors that he wanted to told him what he wanted to hear, but the one who told him what he needed to hear. He listened to the bad doctors and refused to listen to the best doctor, and now he's saying, I wish that doctor would have done more. I kind of feel like he dropped us. And at the very same time, very same verse, the Lord is exasperated with them for this behavior. Verse 19, why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their worthless foreign idols? Why don't they take their medicine? And then it pans back around to the patients. Verse 20, the harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we are not saved. Looks like it's too late. Looks like Yahweh has failed. Looks like he's not coming after all. All is lost. Have you ever done this one? Blamed God for your own problems? Like Adam in the garden. It's the woman you gave me, Lord. You gave her to me. What'd you expect? How could you let this happen to me, God? That right there is the height of arrogance. Blaming the doctor when you didn't take his medicine. But oh, the consequences for that. Jeremiah feels this all the way down to the bottom of his soul. Look at verse 21 again. Since my people are crushed, I am crushed. I mourn and horror grips me. That's the only right response to something like this. Horror and mourning and lament because all the resources are there just waiting to be used. Is there no balm in Gilead? Yes, there is. 
Is there no physician there? Yes, the great physician. Why then is there no healing for the wound of my people? Well, it's not the physician's fault. It's not the prophet Jeremiah's fault either. And yet he weeps over it. Chapter 9. Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. What, what a picture that is, huh? He wishes his head was a spring of water and his eye sockets are like fountains, like for the water to come out of, just pouring out of his eyes. He's saying that there isn't enough water in his head for all the appropriate tears in this tragedy. If they won't repent, then the only right thing to do is to cry. And then to cry some more. And then to cry some more. Note that. That's important. We've seen it before and we're going to see it again. You and I are often tempted to stop caring or to stop confronting, right? I've got to stop caring about that situation. Or I've got to stop speaking the truth into that situation. I feel like I've got to do one or the other. Jeremiah says, both. Both. We cannot get our hearts all callous and say, well, they made their bed. They can lie in it. And at the very same time, we can't fall in the ditch on the other side and say, well, I guess it's just not that bad. He continues to care and he continues to confront. In fact, it's more complex than that. Sometimes he cares so much he wishes he could get away because it hurts too much. He understands how we feel. Look at verse 2. Oh, that I had in the desert a lodging place for travelers so that I might leave my people and go away from them. For they're all adulterers, idolaters, a crowd of unfaithful people. Sometimes it feels like too much. Judah has fallen so far. They become a society of liars, and it just hurts Jeremiah to see it. Verse 3. They make ready their tongue like a bow, to shoot lies. It is not by truth that they triumph in the land. They go from one sin to another. They do not acknowledge me, declares the Lord. That's important. He'll say it again in verse 6. But first, more about how deceptive they become. Verse 4. Beware of your friends. Do not trust your brothers. For every brother is a deceiver and every friend a slanderer. Friend deceives friend and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongues to lie. They weary themselves with sinning. You live in the midst of deception. In their deceit, they refuse to acknowledge me, declares the Lord. Does that sound like any societies you know right now? So much spin, so much disinformation, so much fraud, so many lies. It's hard to know who to trust. You and I should be different from that. We should stand out as people of truth in a day of lies. How are you doing at that? Did you tell the truth this week? Is there anyone you need to talk to about your lies? Because dishonesty is apparently contagious. But there is an antidote. It's called knowing the Lord. Knowing the Lord. We're going to talk about that more next week, Lord willing. 
to know the Lord, or here in verse 3 and verse 6, to acknowledge Him, same idea, to know, is more than just to know about the Lord. It's to know Him personally, to trust Him fully, to be in relationship with Him. It's what our church is all about, a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. It's what Jesus died on the cross for us to enjoy. Jesus said, now this is eternal life. Want to know what eternal life is? This is it. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Do you know him? Are you walking with him? Judah refused to know the Lord. They were too tied up with their lies. And so the Lord was going to bring judgment. Verse 7. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty says. See, I will refine and test them. For what else can I do because of the sin of my people? Their tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks with deceit. With his mouth, each speaks cordially to his neighbor. But in his heart, he sets a trap for him. Should I not punish them for this? declares the Lord. Should I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? What's the answer to that one? Yes. Of course you should, Yahweh. It's, the, it's only just. That is, that is just justice. But it doesn't mean that it feels good. In fact, it feels terrible. It makes Jeremiah feel like weeping. Verse 10. I will weep and wail for the mountains. And take up a lament concerning the desert pastures. They're desolate and untraveled, and the lowing of cattle is not heard. The birds of the air have fled, and the animals are gone. I'll make Jerusalem a heap of ruins, a haunt of jackals, and I'll lay waste the towns of Judah so no one can live there. Uprooted. What man is wise enough to understand this? Who has been instructed by the Lord and can explain it? Why has the land been ruined and laid waste like a desert that no one can cross? If there's a bomb in Gilead, if there's a physician in the land, then why is there no healing for the wound of my people? Here's why. The patient has rejected the treatment and the great physician himself. Verse 13. The Lord said, It is because they've forsaken my law, which I set before them. They have not obeyed me, or followed my law. Instead, they followed the stubbornness of their hearts. They followed the Baals as their fathers taught them. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, See, I will make this people eat bitter food and drink poisoned water. I will scatter them among the nations that neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will pursue them with the sword until I have destroyed them. They're going to be uprooted. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Consider now, call for the wailing women to come. Send for the most skillful of them. You're going to need professional mourners. There will be so much to lament. Let them come quickly and wail over us till our eyes overflow with tears and water streams from our eyelids. The sound of wailing is heard from Zion. How ruined we are. How great is our shame. We must leave our land because our houses are in ruins. Now, O women, hear the word of the Lord. Open your ears to the words of his mouth. Teach your daughters how to wail. Teach one another lament. 
Death has climbed in through our windows and has entered our fortresses. It has cut off the children from the streets and the young men from the public squares. Say, this is what the Lord declares. The dead bodies of men will lie like refuse on the open field, like cut grain behind the reaper with no one to gather them. I'm sorry, but the patient is terminal. That's what he's saying. You let it go on too long. They listened to the wrong doctors. The ones that told them what they wanted to hear. They did not listen to the right doctor who prescribed repentance and truly knowing him. And they refused to take their medicine. And so now the only right thing to do is to weep. And to weep some more. And to weep some more. And to weep some more. But you and I can still learn from Judah's errors. We read Jeremiah now, and he's speaking to us. We don't have to be bad patients in the care of the great physician. We can listen when he says that we have a serious wound that needs to be treated right away. And we can take the effective treatment that he offers. We can live lives of repentance and truth and knowing him. Because there is a balm in Gilead. The old African-American spiritual has it right. I, I listened to Mahalia Jackson sing this song. It's number 423 in her hymnal. You want to turn there? She sang, it over, I, I, she sang it over and over again in my office. I kept pressing play as I, as I prepared this message. In the old African-American spiritual, it's not a question. It's an answer. There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. And it's Jesus you can tell the love of Jesus and say, He died for all. 